Wednesday edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Still awaiting the return of the NBA as they are still enjoying their all-star week, their all-star break with the game going a few days ago now. And we put that fully in the rear view mirror and look ahead to the final third of the season. The Raptors next game coming up on Friday and they start with a back-to-back. They start with a very heavy schedule of four games and five nights, and we can discuss that over the course of the next hour when Alvin Williams joins us. Lots to dive into, and Jonesy, more coming out of the NCAA as well. I want to get into all of that with you as well, but I, I, I don't know where you want to start, but I think we could start or maybe should start with one of the bigger headlines, if it's fair to even call it that, around the NBA over the last 24 hours or so is J.J. Redick. Now, J.J. Redick... Um, Hey, he's got a podcast that we're competing with. We're competing with. So make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones. Wherever you get your podcast, please download, rate, review, subscribe, share, everything else. We got to beat J.J. Redick and his pod. He has turned out to be a fabulous broadcaster and an honest one, but I would also argue a fair one as well. Like, to me, he's not out there, you know, for sensationalism or anything else. He's not just spitting hot takes and whatnot. I think he's been pretty balanced overall with his assessment of things thus far, and I think that's why he's kind of climbing the ranks uh, in terms of his profile within the media in this this post-playing career for J.J. Redick. And he's a former teammate of Zion Williamson's, and he was pretty critical of Zion, who by all accounts... If I'm reading correctly, I don't know this firsthand. I'm, I'm, I'm getting this, as I'm sure you are and everybody else is, from the reports that are out there. Zion isn't in New Orleans. He's actually in the Pacific Northwest and working out at the Nike campus. So he was actually within about 10 minutes of C.J. McCollum for the last, I don't know, three, four, five, six months. Then McCollum gets traded to the Pelicans. And it's a pretty significant deal for New Orleans, who's still hoping to get Zion back at some point. This season certainly has large aspirations for him for that franchise for the short and long term. But J.J. was pretty critical of saying Zion hasn't even reached out to McCollum yet. McCollum traded to the Pelicans. He would be the, the Batman and Robin, the Robin and Batman, whoever you want to call Batman, in New Orleans with the two of them as a one-two punch on that team if he was healthy, but even not healthy. You would think you reach out to a guy, hey, man, welcome to the team. Hey, looking forward to playing with you. Can't wait to get back. What a significant deal. This shows how serious the Pelicans are. Man, this inspires me to get back, whatever it may be. And J.J. Redick, in talking, Jonesy, about Zion Williamson not even reaching out, he says, this is definitely something. And he even says, this is a little bit insane to me. There's a general decorum of behavior that you should apply as a teammate. This just shows a complete lack of investment in your team, in the organization, in the city. I get that he's hurt and away from the team, but you just traded for one of the 50 best players in the league, a guy that's supposed to be paired with you. Reach out and say hello. Then he goes on and says, this is a pattern of behavior with Zion that we are seeing again and again. Look, I was his teammate. I can describe him as a detached teammate. That is an accurate statement. That is just basic, basic level of humanity. Being a teammate, send a text to a guy when he gets traded to your team. That's normal behavior. That is the bare minimum you have to do. 
Those are pretty damning words from J.J. And again, I don't think he said it with a sensationalistic type type approach. It was just kind of spitting facts, spitting the truth. And I got to tell you, if you're in the front office of the Pelicans or you're the teammates right now, if you're Zion Williamson yourself, I don't sure you love hearing that from J.J. Redick. Well, I saw that. And I, I know you just read it, but I actually listened. It's one thing to read something. Uh, you can't, <clears throat> this is where people get into trouble in our society today, you can't interpret tone, a person's yep. voice tone in text. And, you know, you can read that and take it one way, or you can actually hear uh, the guy's voice and know exactly what, uh, get, a little, get a little better context, framed context as to what he was saying. And J.J. was pretty stern, and he was pretty... Um, you, you know, he was pretty uh, candid and, and straightforward about it. And it, 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 it sounds exactly like it reads. Uh, he was making a point. And it's not good. It's not good. And, and uh, you know, I guess in, in some senses he's being um, constructively critical of what Zion needs to do and prove on as a, as a teammate, never mind you know, getting healthy or any of that, but, uh, you know, make him a professional. This is something you do when you're a professional. Now, if I'm with the Pelicans, I would have rather that come out or not come out in the public. It, it should have been something behind closed doors, but J.J. Redick owes them nothing now because he's not part of that team. I would hope that J.J. had said that to Zion when they were in the locker room together and, and had set an example for him as a teammate. And if that's, if that's the case, and I don't, I don't have an issue with it, and I don't, I don't necessarily um, see it as all bad. It, it's trying to get the guy to improve, trying to get the kid to be a better teammate, uh, and trying to get him to be a better professional. Uh, I mean, I, we just passed uh, All-Star Weekend, and Charles Barkley repeats the story over and over how Moses Malone, he said, you know, why am I not playing? He said, because you're fat and out of shape. And, and that, that was a little bit of old school there, but just, you know, Mo, Mo Malone not pulling any punches. And, uh, you know, J.J. Redick being pretty straightforward here. So if you're the Pelicans, it's something that, yeah, you maybe you look into. Um you know, I wonder how much contra- contact because he's he's really, man, he, I think he's doing a really good job considering, but I wonder how much contact Willie Green has had with uh, Zion over the last little while or, uh, you know, how much he's been around the team because you can bet having been part of championship teams uh, and, and knowing what's going on in places like Golden State where he last was in Phoenix – uh, Willie Green is all about that too. So it's kind of a wake-up call for Zion. It is. And there are a lot of people looking at his stock. Like how good does John Morant look as the number two pick right now? How good does R.J. Barrett look as the number three pick right now compared to Zion Williamson where you know everybody wanted that number one pick to get him? And, you know, it's, yeah, it's, I would say he's been, he's been, it's been disappointing because he hasn't been able to play. And that's, you know, what was, what was the line that Sam Mitchell told us? E, can't, can't, can't make the club or can't help the club sitting in the tub. And 
Zion's been <laughs> he's been rehabbing a whole lot lately. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a whole lot, a whole lot. And I'll tell you, the concern that I have too, and I know I'm not the only one. Uh, I think the Pelicans have to be concerned. I'm I'm hoping or assuming that Zion has to be concerned. Um, I haven't seen video or pictures of him lately, but his weight was already a potential issue. And the best thing for him was getting to the pros and working out with the best of the best and the top-notch trainers and, and getting onto a program and everything else. But what's the one thing that can derail anybody, anybody, in terms of staying in shape? Knee, foot, ankle, leg issues because you can't run. Or unless you're getting in the water and, 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 and doing some of those aqua workouts where you're not bearing any weight or whatever, so if you can't put a whole lot down, you can't get the cardio and whatever, that's that's setting a bad precedent too, Jonesy. Like I, I fear where this could be going with Zion, and I hope it's not going the Greg Oden path. But, man, oh, man, it's starting to look more and more like that right now. And, and, and to go back to the root of this specific issue, though, assuming that everything that J.J. Redick says is, is accurate and we've got no reason to assume or think that it's not, you tell me if you agree with this, Jonesy. I actually tend to put a little bit more stock in, and I say this respectfully to J.J. Redick, who granted is not a current player anymore, but I would put more stock in the opinion or the viewpoint of someone who's not a star. Even if you're a starter, but not a star. And certainly if you're a second unit guy or someone a little bit deeper in the bench. And the reason I say that is, correct me if I'm wrong, if you're a starter and more so an all-star, certainly a superstar, I think part of it, and again, I don't say this negatively, negatively part of it is you've got to have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. You've got to have a little bit of a swagger. You've got to have a little bit of an ego and an attitude. So if, if I'm not hearing from, like, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to make sure I articulate this properly, Jones. Let's go back, to, let's go back in the day. Now, granted, they were young. But if Vince Carter and Tracy McGrady didn't see eye-to-eye on something, eh, it could just be two battling egos. Or if they weren't communicating as much to one another, it could just be two battling egos. Much like, perhaps an even better example, is Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant. Because it's like two dogs fighting over the same bone, perhaps. But what's the opinion of you as a player or you as a teammate from the 6th, 7th, 8th man, from the 11th or 12th guy, from the assistant coach, from the trainer or, or the, the ball boy or ball person or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like those are the ones yeah. I think yeah. where you ultimately truly see and find out who you're all about. So if this is the attitude or the um, assessment, the feeling from J.J. Redick of Zion Williamson, it makes me wonder if that's the feeling from a lot of folks too. And again, that might not be a fair statement. I don't know. We're not close to it. It just makes me wonder. Because J.J., from what I got a sense of, not knowing the man personally, seemed like a guy that was a fairly liked teammate, fairly respected. I haven't heard a whole lot of guff about J.J. Redick over the course of his career. And I agree with you. I hope if he's saying it publicly, he has said it privately, even if it was a couple of years ago, even if it was in one moment saying something to Zion, like, hey, man, come on, you got to be bigger than that. You gotta, you're, our, you're, you're the future. you got to, like, whatever it is. I hope he said it privately. 
But if that's the feeling from JJ, I wonder how much of that is the feeling about Zion from a whole bunch of other folks too. Yeah, it's it's a good point, um, and that's where you know, as I said, the the Pelicans organization has to evaluate that. Um, <clears throat> is it totally off base? Is there some truth to it? And that's you know, I guess that's going back to what we talked about in terms of accountability in the locker room. And if JJ said it as a teammate and Zion heard it when they were in the locker room together and he's just trying to make them better and hold them accountable, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's Because when it comes from uh, your peers, it's far more powerful than it is coming from management or somebody above you or, or you know somebody who's not in as powerful a position or, or stature as, as you are. You can kind of... You might take some of it, you might dismiss it, but when it's, it's coming from one of your peers, especially somebody who's older and been through it before, um, and that's why I hope it was said in the locker room. But this is, I mean, this is something that the franchise has to work on. It, it, it does. It does. He's the star player. He's the face. And you can't, you can't just indiscriminately let guys get away with stuff. You, you can't. If, if it's going to... If it's going to hurt your franchise, uh, that he's not engaged and doing the right thing, then you can't sacrifice the principle of all of it just to keep him happy and walk on eggshells and not step on his toes. No, that's and and I'll tell you this on the other side. If you're Zion, hopefully you've heard that and it's like, yeah, you know what? I got to do better. Like it, that somebody's holding you accountable. If if you've heard that. We might, we might have, we might have just lost Jonesy in the middle of his sentence. If you heard that, he left us hanging. We were waiting to hear what you wanted to say. We'll get Jonesy back into the mix in a second here. Um, I'm going to put a bow on the topic though, because I want to move on to something else before we get to our our first guest. Alvin Williams is going to join us. Alvin Williams Wednesdays, of course, Hump Day on Smith and Jones. It's always Alvin Williams Wednesdays. So we'll bring him into the mix shortly. He's going to join us, I think, for, for an extended period, a longer chat on the show today because he kind of teases us from week to week. Like we get him on, he's like, man, we're already out of time. I want more time. So it's all right, this week we got more time with Alvin. So we're going to have him for a little bit. We're going to take our break, and then we're going to have him for the, uh, for the last half of the show as well. And uh, what I want to bring up now involves um, one of his former teams going back to the collegiate ranks. I mean, at least the team was in the game. doesn't necessarily involve his team, but they were there. Villanova and UConn last night. If you didn't see it, you have to go watch it because I will try to describe it for you. I'll give you the play-by-play, but you have to see it because much like our colleague Seth Davis, who sent out a tweet saying that he didn't see it live, found it on Twitter and thought, really, it can't be that bad. Then he saw it, and he goes, yep, it was that bad. In fact, it was worse. Danny Hurley, in talking to the officials... Gets a tech. Doesn't seem like it's an overly heated conversation necessarily, but he gets a tech, and he slaps five with a couple of his players and then turns to the crowd who's kind of cheering. And, you know, as crowds tend to do, I've been there as a certainly as a football fan. You kind of razz in the refs and cheering on as your coach or your player gets, a, gets teed up or something. It kind of fires up the crowd, right? 
Danny Hurley, after getting the tech and slapping five with a couple of his players, turns to the crowd and waves his arms up and down, like motioning to the crowd, like, get up, get up, come on, make more noise, like flapping his arms. He gets teed up for that and ejected. Now, you can see clearly on the video, I don't even know if this would necessarily matter, but it's not like he was magic wording the crowd, like, get up, effers and MF and what, like, he was just smiling and laughing at the whole thing and kind of playing up to the crowd a little bit, flapping his arms, gets teed up and ejected. James Breeding, the official, boom, you're out of here. And we're talking about a little less than five minutes to go in the first half. Coach gets ejected for waving his arms to the crowd? Like, really? That's where we're at now? That's where we're at with officials teeing up dudes and ejecting guys for mugging to the crowd and flapping the arms to the crowd. I, 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 we, we talk often about this, and maybe it's getting to be a bit of a broken record. I, I, I think what we need to do at some point, I'm, I'm almost like I'm, I'm, I'm co-producing on the air. We need to get a, an official on, like our guy Ron Foxcroft or even Steve Foxcroft, somebody, some official, to find out because with due respect to the, to the Foxcrofts or to any other official that might be listening, I understand, I understand that there might be a certain code of you know, protecting the back, having the back of your, your, your fellow brothers or sisters that may be officials. But there's got to be some critical eye that looks at this outside of broadcasters, outside of coaches, outside of media members and fans. Somebody within the officiating fraternity has to look at this and go, Come on, are you like the game is not about you? And and I I tend to and listen, my kid's in school, so he can't even hear it right now. I like to think that I'm pretty fair. I'm sure there's times where I'm not. I'm sure there's times, many times maybe even, that I fly off the deep end. But whether it's officiating, whether it's parenting, Jonesy, whether it's life in general, I guarantee I've used this line to you, and I'm not taking credit for the line. In fact, I think it's our guy Jack that first said it to me. And I've kind of tried to apply it to my personal and professional life. And I use it for officials right now. And I use it for the situation last night uh, involving Danny Hurley and, again, James Breeding, the official. Common sense should overrule the rules. If you folks take that mantra and apply it to your life, i got to hazard to guess you will be on the right side far more often than you will be on the wrong side. Common sense should overrule the rules. Go with your gut. And last night to me, James Breeding didn't go with his gut. He went with his heart. And his heart was, I'm in my feelings. I don't like that the coach is, is, is getting the crowd to, to basically cheer against me or, 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 or boo louder against me. So you know what? My ego is hurt. My heart is hurt. Boom, you're teed up. The game is not about you. Now, if Danny Hurley Jonesy is on the court and coming at you, if he's aggressively barking at you, swearing at you, up in your face, clearly if he makes physical contact with you, if he drops the bird on you, whatever it might be, Fine, but really, laughing and smiling and flapping your arms at the crowd, that's a technical foul and an ejection? Wow. We got we, we to gotta yeah. hit the reset button, don't we? Yeah, I, I, I don't like that. I mean, and if you're the official, if, you, if it bothers you that much, uh, remember Dwayne Casey used to say to us when people would say, oh, Dwayne, you got to take a tee, and he says, no, you don't, because you keep your money, and the referees can have that attitude, and all this ref, if he really wanted to do, 
all he wanted to do, he could have just said, all right, that's what you're going to do. Don't expect a call anytime soon. Boop, that's a foul. Boop, that's a travel. Boop, that's a foul. Like, you can do it that way. You know, you can do it that way. And I just, I, I, you know my line, E, about legislating emotion out of the game. You cannot do that. You absolutely, unequivocally cannot make rules and, and, and legislate emotion out of the game. You know, uh, like what the NBA sees as taunting sometimes where a guy just looks at a guy like, ooh, I got you. Like, I dunked that on you. You thought you were going to block that, didn't you? And boom, there's a T. You can't do that. You can't do that. So I, I, I just, the college game is like that, though. They, they, the referees call it, there's got to be a, a, a mix, of a, a, a middle ground between the strict, more strict application of the rules in the college game and the NBA. They let so many travels go that when a travel happens in a critical situation and everybody sees it, it's not called. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and meanwhile, in the college game, the whistle blows. What, what, what is that? Oh, it's a travel. The guy moved his pivot foot like a centimeter. So I, I think there's got to be a middle ground somewhere. Well, as I said, the game involved one of his former teams. So let's get his sense on this because, hey, he played in the NCAA. He played in the NBA. Now he's a coach himself as well. Let's bring into the mix for Alvin Williams Wednesdays, our guy, Alvin Williams. Al, how are you today? What's up, guys? How are you? Doing well, Al. All good, Al. Doing well. Hey, um, we were talking about – we're going to get to some NBA stuff. We've got lots of time to talk. We've got you for an extended period today, Al. We've been talking about it for a long time. So the extended mix of Alvin Williams Wednesdays today. What did you uh, think of the Danny Hurley situation last night and being ejected for basically flapping his arms at the crowd and kind of just smiling and, and, and whooping it up with his with his home crowd? What did you think of that? I mean, I, I, you know, I, I don't get – I don't understand it. I don't understand, like, where the technical fouls come from. I don't understand where certain things, you know, certain punishments and certain violations take and penalties are, are placed down when, you know, it comes from different, it comes from different things. So I, I really don't, I really don't have a take. Um, it's just one of those things where I would like more clarity on what someone can do, what can't be done, and it has to be consistent across the board. So, yeah, Al, to that I, point, then. I, 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 sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Jonesy. Go ahead. The, go ahead. No, I, 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 to, to Al's point, as I said, Al, I think the college officials have a little bit too much power and wield it, and especially the way they adjudicate and call the game. They're much more strict in their application of the rules, sometimes, as we see last night, I think, to a fault, as opposed to the NBA, where they kind of let things go a little, but the problem is... When you let it go, when you need it to be called, it's not going to be called. Yeah, I mean, it, it, once again, getting a, to play in the NBA and sitting in some of the meetings with the PA and things like that in the NBA and just seeing how officials are evaluated, how they prepare, how they train, I don't know what the same, what the same protocol is for the NCAA refs and how they go about 
you know, they're placing rules, how they evaluate, how they view film, and how they make the adjustments from year to year, different behaviors, different different calls, and different things like that. So I just, like, honestly, I don't have, I don't have a take and I don't have a true understanding on the preparations of referees and how they go about year after year calling games and, and just making sure they manage the game in a proper way where it's a good product out there on the floor and it's entertaining for everyone. Okay, so Al, let, let, let me let me move. I mean, it might be the same type of conversation or the same um, process, NCAA versus NBA, but but let's put NCAA to, to rest for a second. Bring me to your career in the NBA, whether you're a rookie or whether you're a veteran. Did you have certain relationships, certain bonds or, or something with certain officials where you knew going into a game, all right, I can talk to this guy a certain way, I can't talk to this guy in a certain way. I can get away with this with a certain official, but, man, if I talk to her a certain way, I, I won't be able to get away with it. Like, did you have some of those relationships, or did you not kind of even get to that point with most officials? No, I never got to that point because the one thing I realized early on, the officials are a part of the game. And no matter what, bad calls, good call, whatever, they're a part of the game. And you have to play the game accordingly. You have to be able to make adjustments. You have to understand that, you know, there's 10 basketball players out there on the court and the NBA is three more referees and, you know, college and high school is three or two. But they're part of the game. So I've never got into that because once I start doing that, it would distract me from playing the game. But there are, you know, you have captains and you have people that are veterans that they have certain relationships with referees. They have different conversations, right? They they can curse a referee out and not get a call. One player can do some things to referee and it's a short whistle. So it's just one of those things where the referees are human beings but they have and they have a job to do, but it's just it's never consistent. It's never consistent, and you try not to play that game. You try not to play that game and hope that you will have a level of consistency at some point where that won't cost you the game at the end or some critical time. So I've never gotten to it, but there's definitely a reality that certain players have certain relationships with player, with referees. They can carry conversations a little differently than other players can. That makes it tough, Al. I, I, I know that because you stand on the court and you can actually look at a referee and say, hey, man, if I would have said that, I'm getting a technical. How can you let yeah. him say that? And I guess that's the human side and the inconsistency of it. But uh, And all, all you want as a player is consistency. And I know that drives some people crazy. It drives coaches crazy where, you know, some, some people have longer leashes. And, and yeah. I think some of that also, it's tough. I think some of that also extends to the play on the floor where some players have reputations as, oh, he's a defensive guy, and the guy's fouling the whole time, but he's not getting called. Whereas somebody else does that, uh, you know, they, they, they get called. So it's, it, it's a factor in the game that makes it really, really difficult. Yeah, and, and, and it's, it's tough. And, you know, and, you know, today when we talk about the referees, even talk about Danny, today's society, it, it's very it's tight. Is, is, is very is very tight when it comes to you know impacting people feeling um, being sensitive and society is just different when it comes to especially in sports where before it was the shut 
now is a pecking order. Everybody's not on the same playing field. Everybody, you got to earn your stripes. And you do that, of course, with reputation, you know, performance. And referees sometimes give you the benefit of the whistle, uh, the coaches. But a lot of times now, especially I see with young players, everybody feels like they're on the same level. Like the bottom guy is on the same level as the superstar. And they carry themselves, and they're going to voice their opinion, and they're going to be more out there with what they're talking about in their approach where sometimes you may, you may not have – you haven't earned that yet. You haven't earned that respect. You haven't earned that, you know, those stripes where you can get those calls or, you know, whatever the case may be. But I think the power, the powers and the upper powers, they, they have to monitor these things and they have to answer some of these questions where things are going to be a little different than, we, than we're used to when it comes to a quick whistle or a coach getting ejected for pumping up the crowd. And, you know, you may not want Villanova to come back and say, you know, you know, the coach really was out of pocket. So now we got to answer those, these questions. It's so difficult now to, to manage that. And to your point, Jonesy, that's where we are now. But I think finding that balance of the old generation and the newer generation and how we go about, you know, making sure we put the best product out there on the floor. Speaking with Alvin Williams. So, Al, I, I want to put a pin in a portion of what you just said because I want to circle back to um, some of the stuff you talked about, the, the today's generation and the younger players, because I have a question, a topic on that I think we, we, could, we could all get into, the three of us. But staying with the officials for a second, how much do you think the rise, the rapid rise over the last, well, ten years, but certainly the last five years, the last few years, the rise of social media and everything being out there instantaneously on multiple platforms, on multiple handles, on the reel that can just be, you know, played over and over and over again, impacts the officials too. Because we look at this through the lens of the player or through the lens of the coach. But if you look at it through the lens of the official too, and I know that they're supposed to just call the game, period, but it's impossible to not look at them as human as well and think they don't want to be seen as getting shown up and have that all over social media. They don't want to be seen as being disrespected and getting it on Instagram or or wherever else, and it's played over and over and over and over again. So are they guilty of being victims or or, or playing into, and sometimes they're not victims, sometimes they're the, the perpetrators of, What's happening because of just our world right now with everything being so in your face and everybody in the crowd pulling out their phone and boom, it's already there for anyone to see. Yeah, once again, it's an adjustment. I think it, I think it can be a good thing, though, as well, because when you have referees who are controlling the game a lot of the times, they have a lot of impact and a lot of influence on the game, they should be held accountable. And not just, you know, after a game and they're evaluated by their bosses from watching film and watching tape. But, you know, the pressure of it's going to be seen right away and it's going to be seen by everyone. So that puts, a, that puts more pressure on a referee to go about their game and doing their job to the base, best of their capabilities, the best of their ability. So I feel like that could be a positive thing that it's out there. At the same time, we realize that referees, they go into the seasons they have pointed emphasis. They have things that they have to monitor. And the game of basketball is so fast, especially nowadays. The athletes are faster. They're stronger. It's just a quicker game. 
So their eye have to be, they have to be in better shape. Their eye have to be in shape. They have to be ready to make those calls at the drop of a dime, but they also have to know what the point of emphasis and things that they're focusing on through the course of that season. So it's not just they're going out there and just calling calls. It's, it's the way the game is supposed to be played. And just like you look at the NBA as well, the game is supposed to be played a certain way, and the referees have to call it as such. So there's an evaluation you know, point, as I mentioned before, but I think it's a good thing that, you know, they are held accountable and more people are seeing it. It's just like the player. The players, you know, is more pressure on them because everyone gets to see it. Everyone can criticize. Everyone has a voice. Everyone has a platform now that can really take, take, bring notice to what a player is doing on and off the court. And I think the same could be held referees as well. Al, we didn't even get into the uh, Jawan Howard thing. I want to get your uh, get your thoughts on that quickly before we get to the NBA. But, E, I know we're against the clock. We've got to take a break, right? I think we can push it a little bit, Jonesy, if we want to talk a little Jawan Howard. Because, Al, you're sticking around for an extended mix today, right? You're going to be with us uh, till the top of the hour, or am I wrong about that? Yeah, all right. So, so hey, let's yeah, let's let's talk a little Jawan Howard, and then, right. then we the can Alvin take Williams a break hour. after that. So go ahead. Yeah. The, Al- the Alvin Williams hour continues. Al, I'm saying, um, and we had, we had Patrick Ewing on yesterday. Um, Mark Price took a lot of heat on Twitter about it. I'm saying get rid of the, at a certain level, not PAL League or, or YMCA or where the kids are still learning, and that's part of sportsmanship. But I'm saying at a certain level, get rid of the handshake. Get, I mean, You've been in those games, man. Villanova, Connecticut, Georgetown, Connecticut, where it and I mean you're playing against Big John's teams and it is it's it's competitive, man. It's downright chippy and and nasty at times. And then you gotta line up and shake hands. I, I just think you leave it optional. And if if there wasn't a handshake line, and people are on me about this, no, Jonesy, you got, come on, you can't pull it together for 30 seconds. Maybe you don't want to. Personalities are different. And I've I've said this, and I'll say it again for our listeners. I've walked off at times without shaking hands. I've done it maybe later or gotten to a guy when we've lost. When I won, I always tried to be gracious and maybe even approach guys to say, Hey, man, great fight, man. You really brought that out of me and, and brought that out of us. But there are times, Al, when I think it's just better just to, you know, like the NBA, just wave or do the COVID handshake, wave at the other end, and and, and, and that's that. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an option. I, I'm, I like the handshake. I like because I think it brings – the handshake brings life back to it. We, play, we, we compete out there for 60 minutes, however long, 45 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 48 minutes. And no matter what, we're competitors, we're going to push each other, we're going to get chippy, and we can shake hands at the end. Whether We don't have to like each other, but it's, I think it's a show of respect. It's a show of uh, competition. It's, it's just like boxing. I watch boxers talk about each other's mothers, knock each other out, low blows, and then at the end of the fight, and they, that's a that's a combat sport. That's a brutal sport. And they find a way to show they can show grace and, and shake hands after being beat up, right? 15 stitches in your eye, nose broken, and you can say, man, that was a hell of a fight. And everything leading up to that was part of competition. I feel like that brings a beauty to sport. I feel like it brings the, the understanding of what sport truly is and what life is, and it brings that separation behind it. 
So I do believe that there is. But the, the challenge is when you have two coaches, right, and they're competing not just on the court, guys. They, they're competing in the summertime recruiting. They're trying to get kids. And I would be, I would be surprised if some of those coaches aren't biting other coaches' backs out when you're trying to get a kid. And to me, even that Jawan Howard situation, that didn't stem from a timeout being called because Jawan Howard played too much basketball in his life to be upset by be- losing a timeout or anything. Like he's, he's seen it all. Something else has stemmed from that. That seems like something more personal. And, and I'm not saying anything out there, but there's a lot of things going on from off the court, too, from recruiting to the banquet, to coaches' meetings, to league meetings. A lot of things, a lot of conversations are being had that I think can stem and, and instigate one of those type of situations. Mm. Interesting, interesting. That's you know what, Al. Yes, I, I think you probably you 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 probably uh, you probably bang on with that. I hadn't thought of it that way, but but there's so much going on with the business of sports at the collegiate level, and when you talk about that recruiting stuff. You're right, especially when you think about Big East. We we talked about it yesterday. Can't wait to see these two teams go again, in if if it happens in the Big East tournament. I mean, I know Juwan's not going to be a part of it now, but tell me the players aren't going to be thinking about it still and, and and standing up for their coach, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. And, and Juwan's just he's he's just suspended for the regular season. He'll be back for the you know the conference tournament, but he he he. I mean, it is what it is. I think they both understand that the all eyes are on them and they're professional enough. And Jawan, I don't know the Wisconsin coach, but Jawan's a great dude. And he has a true understanding. Like I said, he's been through it all. You know he messed up. He messed up. The emotions got the best of him. Sent out a great, I think, apology. And I know that he's a guy that nobody's writing that script up for him. That's what he feels. And I know he he'll know how to recover from that and they'll they'll talk it out. I've seen Jawan Howard in action a lot of times on and off the court. So he's one of those guys that's a true professional and he just it just got away from him that at that moment. And I think, you know, it's just gonna be one of the things where he'll bounce back from it. He'll show grace once again, apologize, show, shake hands, and then move forward. All right, Al. Let, let me jump wow. in here for a second, here, Jonesy. Let me let me jump in for a second, Al. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if you're cool for it, we we got to take a, a commercial break here. And I, do you mind sticking around for a little bit, Al? Then so we can continue, cool. continue the conversation. Cool. Let's do it. Let's All right, we're gonna it. take yeah, the break, folks. Sure. We're gonna take the break. We'll let Al go grab his coffee, do what he's got to do, and we'll come back and continue this conversation. Much more to come with Alvin Williams on Smith and Jones. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review as well. Uh, awaiting the Toronto Raptors next game. First game back after the break comes on Friday. First half of a back-to-back for Toronto. Raptors 9:05 in action tonight against Greensboro. Uh, and Delano Banton, Justin Champagne, Isaac Bonga, and more in the lineup for the 9:05 7 o'clock tip-off for that game. We continue our conversation with uh, former Toronto Raptor and, of course, Sportsnet television analyst as well, Alvin Williams. It's Alvin Williams Wednesdays. And, Al, I want to take everything we've discussed the last 10, 15 minutes and wrap it up into – and I apologize. It might be a long-winded question here, but this is the thing I put a pin in earlier. 
you now as a coach, as a high school coach, how conscious and aware are you of everything else away from the X's and O's and the between the lines stuff? Because I, I, I mentioned earlier, social media and everybody trying to make their own mixtape or their own highlight reel and and guys now mugging up for cameras and a guy gets crossed over and suddenly the crowd just reacts to a big crossover and a guy now is spilled all over social media because he got crossed up or something. All of these things where the spotlight is on all the time, but then you factor in mental health and the focus on mental health and, and how the importance in that has risen over the years, rightfully risen. And then, of course, the, 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 the leader of men or women that coaches often are, the role models, etc. There's a whole lot thrown into the mix now and mixed up into that pot of coach. Because coach is not just calling the plays. There is so much. There always was a lot, but it seems like in today's day and age, there's even more. So how are you handling that as a high school coach trying to guide these young people, not just these young players? 95% of it is teaching, is educating. Coaching comes last. It's, it's, it's a great thing to be able to coach and teach through coaching. But I remember, you know, my dad this summer, when I took the job, I remember I was joking with him, and I had my clipboard, and he's like, I'm just drawing up some plays, call me the next Pat Riley. And he looked at me and was like, man, you're a teacher. You're not a coach. And that was always something that stuck with me because I'm not a, I'm, I'm truly not a coach. I can't draw up a play to save my life. But all the, all the, how I've learned basketball was through great coaches at a young age. And they taught me life skills through basketball. They taught me, you know, to avoid a trap or to avoid a press. They say, if you're walking down the street and you see five guys or three guys walking on the same side of the street of you, are you going to try to walk through those guys? Or are you going to figure out another way to get, get to where you need to get to? That was always like stuff like that was like, that's life lessons, teaching. So even with my job now, I teach. I teach, teach, teach. I teach the importance of preparation. I teach the importance of, you know, just teamwork, work ethic, you know, being persistent. All of those things that's going to translate in life at some point, you know, day to day. So on the court, the X's and O's. That's the last thing I concentrate on, and most importantly, and the most and the most fun thing for me is to teach the young people through my experiences and people I've played with and my upbringing and my my experiences, and I just I just share that a lot, and I I'm fortunate enough to be able to transfer into basketball. Al, what was your favorite part of All Star Weekend as we change gears here, and and how cool was it to see? all of those great players together, the top 75, most of them anyway. Some guys, Eric and I are going to put on a blue blazer and wave to in front of a white screen. But um, for, for the most part, you know, the guys that were there and, and seeing some of the, the great, you know, the greats of the game together. Well, did you have a favorite part of the All-Star Weekend? That was it, Jonesy. You, you know, myself, you, e, we're historians of the game and, we really appreciate the old school. And I think when you get a chance, and there's a lot of chatter and there's a lot of talk about generation and who's doing what and what's, who's better and those things. But I know how much it means to the older players to still be recognized as a great. And I think the NBA have done a great job of mixing the younger generation and the older generation um, together. 
And that's just something that was very, it was a beautiful sight. It was wonderful to see the older people getting their flowers, so to speak, and the younger people still, they were on a pedestal, but the younger generation and today, the current generation, they showed a lot of admiration, appreciation, respect, and honor. So I thought that was great. I loved seeing it. I liked the way everyone conducted themselves. And it was just a nice part, and, and, and I really appreciated watching that. There's a great photo going around, Al. I don't know if you saw it or not, but uh, with, with Allen Iverson uh, sitting courtside right next to Dr. J, and during the All-Star yep. game itself, Joel Embiid walking by, and you get the, the three generations of 76ers in one picture like that. Um, with James Harden now going to Philly, I know we've discussed this a lot over the last couple of weeks, but what, you know, where do you think things stand for Philadelphia uh, in terms of this moment in time right now, Al, and, and what this could mean uh, for the 76ers and for Philly sports fans? And honestly, I, I don't, you know, sports are going to continue to move forward. You're going to have Philadelphia at the beginning of the season. I don't care which, this, everybody thinks championship is the Phillies, the Flyers, the Eagles, the Sixers. It, it could be us three starting in a lineup. They're going to talk championship anyway. So, it's just one of those things where it's just the expectation is always there. But the reality is, I'm not sure. You know, when you, when you put, you know, somebody that is James Harden, who's such a dominant figure, uh, personality, a great player, and you put them alongside of another person like that, that's going to be the adjustment. You're not putting two and three pieces together. You, you're putting one piece to another piece and seeing how that's going to work. For a championship, I don't see the Sixers being a championship team with that that duo. Um, very talented and very dangerous, but I don't see it being a championship team. So I think they need to monitor or just you know just level some of their expectations when it comes to that. But the Sixers, the Philadelphia crowd is not going to do it. But there's potential to be a very dangerous team because Joel Embiid is playing as an MVP, and then you add somebody if he's a motivated James Harden, if he's in good enough shape and he can just come in here and, and be who he is, then they're definitely a dangerous team, but not a championship team. What do you think they're missing, Al, to be a championship team? Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, you know, I look at that when you say that. I, I, I think there are teams that are better than they are, but gosh, anything can happen. And uh, to me, in Philadelphia, the biggest issue is how do you integrate James Harden that quickly? Because he's not a guy that's going to stand in the corner or play off the ball. That dude's going to have the ball in his hands. And then he's going to determine your style of play and how does that impact Joel Embiid. That, I think, is a factor. But if they figure that out, what do you think they would need to make them a championship team? I think, of course, you need you need depth. You need more depth coming off the bench. Um, I really like Maxi. I like his development. I like if he was to come off the bench. I like a spark that he could bring. But he's been doing such a great job as a starter. So it's all about how do you how do you project Maxi? What do you project Maxi to be? You project him to be one of those guys for you in the future, and then you continue to have him create value for himself. But I think they also they need depth coming off the bench, and more importantly. Joel Embiid, and I hate to put it out there because he's doing so great. History has shown he's not been healthy at these times of the year yeah. going into the playoffs. So if with an unhealthy Joel Embiid, 
this team is lost because I don't think James Harden can carry the load, nor should he so anyway expect him to carry the load at this stage of his career. And then once again, that defensive side of the ball. Will James Harden be somebody that we haven't seen him in the past that would be, you know, at least competitive on the defensive side? And, and there's questions out there to, to understand his motivation. Is he, is he motivated to get back on that level? Or is he just a guy right now just riding out to the sunset? I believe he has a lot of game left, no doubt about it. But for that team to be a championship team, it's hard to say what exactly they need because you guys know you need everything. You need luck. You need health. You need game. You need bench. You need depth. You need toughness. And and it's hard to point that out. But with that being said, the Eastern Conference is so up and down, you just never know. Because you look at the Boston Celtics now, geez, they looking like <laughs> they could compete for a championship coming out of the East. So you just never know what's going on in the Eastern Conference. Al, we appreciate the time today, man. Thanks for sticking around for the uh, extended period. Raptors' next game coming on Friday, first game after the break against the Hornets, and then it's the front night of the back-to-back as they will be in Atlanta on Saturday facing the Hawks. We'll look forward to seeing you on uh, some of the upcoming broadcasts, of course, Al, and we'll be talking again real soon. All the best. Yes, indeed. See you guys. Thanks for having me. All right, Al. There is Alvin Williams. Alvin Williams Wednesdays right here on Smith & Jones. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well.